So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for this gathering of awesome people that are committed to you, worshiping, serving you, God. Um, and I just pray that this message would um, would enlighten us to the fact that um, you, God, are calling us um, to something much greater. You're, you're present among this city, amongst the people that we're with, Lord. So I just pray that you would um, that you would bring something here, Lord. Amen. Um, yeah, so we are on the second week of our series, Transitions. Uh, this title is significant because, obviously, as Derek has said, we're encountering um, a season of transition here at uh, the Vineyard. And again, for those of you that don't know, we will be moving this gathering somewhere new. This is difficult. I don't know if, if you realize this, but um, when you live with the intent of impacting the environment that you inhabit, it starts to kind of look like you. Um, the memories, the conveniences, the, uh, the uniqueness. I mean, we're in a train station, folks. Like, that's pretty unique. Um, it was it was silly because while I was while I was writing this, um, it I couldn't help come to mind the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Has anyone seen Dead Man's Chest? Anybody? Okay, we got a few. All right, so I won't look like a complete uh, weirdo up here. Um, so the second movie, Dead Man's Chest, um, the crew of the Flying Dutchman they start to chant this uh, part of the ship, part of the crew, part of the ship, part of the crew. <laughs> Um, because that was the reality of Will Turner's father, for those of you who know the story. Um, he was literally engulfed by the wall of the ship, like he was a part of the ship. And that's kind of what happens. You become a part of this place. And, uh, I mean, it's not as dramatic as, like, Derek's head coming out of one of these pillars, but, like, <laughs> um, but who we are, like, we continually make an impact so much so that who we are is reflected in the spaces that we inhabit. And that's our hope and identity here, if you don't know, as a church, um, to impact the environments we inhabit for the kingdom. This meaning who we are, people who love to glorify Christ, um, make places look like God the Savior showed up. That's like, that's our mission here. And um, that his presence is shown and directed towards himself. That's, that's who we are here. Um, so as we kind of interact with this text, John, in his gospel, brings to attention God's presence. Like even from the very beginning of his, um, of his account, he gives us this idea that God is coming to people. Like he's coming. And so if you want to bring up that text here, um, John 1.14, this is the very beginning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This mor morning we'll be journeying through the scriptures to find God's presence in the past 
God's presence fulfilled in Jesus, and finally, God's presence revealed through us. So that's what we'll be going through today. Um, so the theme of God's presence is embedded from the very beginning of the narrative of Scripture. The garden, we'll start right there from the very beginning. A place of special relationship and life between God, creation, and man, flourishing, thriving for his glory and for his pleasure and intended purposes. Even after the fall, this does not cease to be a theme. Noah made what seems to be the first recorded altar right after he came off of the ark, a place of remembrance, sacrifice, and communion with God Almighty. With God's chosen people, it was the tabernacle, the fiery pillar which traveled with them and housed the meeting place for God and man to dwell together. David's legacy, it was the temple. He didn't get to build it himself, but his son Solomon did. A fortress of gold, bronze, costly stones, and some of the finest floral arrangements. It was a testament to God's glory and, and beautiful presence. And finally, we have um, the dark times of exile for the Jews. They stationed themselves in synagogues, assemblies of zealous Jews holding on to the promise of the Messiah. Even while experiencing judgment and estrangement from their home and what seemed like God's presence altogether. So, like, there's something wrong here. Like, what happened to make God's presence interact with us in that way? Well, to put it short, we, we don't trust him. We didn't trust him. We didn't trust in the very fact that he revealed himself as good and that his word was trustworthy. Hebrews 3, 13 through, or 12 through 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The fall marked the beginning where all humanity joined in Adam would be convinced that God was not good. So we lived pursuing that conviction every day that God is wrong, attempting to either counterfeit his presence because we really, we know that he's good, but we are, we have convinced ourselves otherwise. And so we try to counterfeit that goodness in the world and the things um, that we see and experience, or we limit his presence um, with our temporal perspectives. And I know that some of you might be thinking, well, how can God's presence be good if he's both jealously pursuing us, but restricted in how he interacts with us? It, it seems inconsistent. That seems like a rather unpredictable or unreliable type of love. That, my friends, is why Jesus is so beautiful. In our passage today, John reveals one of the greatest mysteries of Jesus. We see Jesus' natural reaction to God's place, God's presence being used for humans and not for God. During this time, it is Passover, 
So essentially, we have um, this commemoration of God's people being saved from Egypt, the Hebrews. And so what would happen is people would come from great distances from across the kingdom to meet in Jerusalem to celebrate this together. And what would happen at a Passover is you would sacrifice and worship God. But being it's that this distance is pretty great, most people wouldn't bring the sacrifice with them. They would actually buy it in Jerusalem. Um, it just made sense. So this also means that the merchants that were stationed in the temple knew this. And they actually um, would hike up the prices and typically would make a profit off of this gathering. Um, and as we see in the in the passage here, let's just say that Jesus got pretty ticked. He was he was not happy. Um, so for those of you who think that God is like reserved and passive, uh, this is a testament, a New Testament, if you will, <laughs> of God's fervor for his presence among us, like he wants to be with us. And um, what's interesting is he singles out these pigeon merchants, which I imagine them to be like kind of inconspicuous, like they're, they're <laughs> um, selling like the least of, like the least of these. So I can just see them like just like kind of sitting, really surprised at like, what is this guy doing? Jesus is like flipping over tables and he's got this whip and he's whipping all the animals out of there. And um, <laughs> I get to see Jesus going, and you, <laughs> pigeon merchant. <laughs> yes, you, pigeon merchant. This is my father's house. Um, that's like kind of how I envisioned it <laughs> when I was reading it. Actually, the second time I went through it. Um, the Lev Leviticus pigeons were actually used for those who couldn't afford, like, an actual sacrifice, like a lamb. And it's very interesting that John would, like, pinpoint this specific interaction. Um, because what was happening is the poor, those who couldn't afford the lamb, were being exploited. So much so that they weren't able to actually participate so we can see why Jesus is very angry and passionate that the least of these aren't able to, like that's not his heart. Like everyone is to be a part of his presence. Um, now what we're going to kind of be focusing on um, is John's, or John's annotation of what followed this little pigeon tumble. And we see that John, when he writes this account, he has the end in mind. That's the reason why he has these annotations, because he's trying to reveal something to us. Um, so Jesus says something in response to the uh, bitter question of the Jews. Um, what authority do you have? What sign do you have to show us that you're like throwing things around and yelling at pigeon people? Um, and it probably hardened them still more, this response. He announced the destruction and the rebuilding of the temple. That's pretty intense because, like, most of the Jews' identity was in this building. Um, yeah, it's weird, and I'm sure the Jews were, like, 
just as perplexed, like you're just one guy, how can you destroy an entire building? Like, come on, and rebuild it. Like it took us 46 years, like chill out, man. Um, but this, there's like huge, massive implications for this, if you want to put it up here. John states, this is his annotation, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Well, it's a short passage, so you... you <laughs> <laughs> it was just for effects, to be honest. Um, so Jesus was foreshadowing his death and resurrection. Now, taking us back to the Old Testament, this is what's really incredible about this. When the temple was destroyed, it was typically because of God's judgment against Israel. So what John was expressing in this one very simple sentence is that Jesus um, has come to do something here. Jesus came to take on the judgment. He himself was the temple. Take on the judgment, the absence of God's presence. The very presence of God was symbolized in this temple. But as it is destroyed, we see that it is the depiction of Jesus taking on this judgment, the absence of God's presence in our place. The temple is to be destroyed in judgment, but it's to be rebuilt. And oh, <laughs> what a joy it was for God to rebuild it. Um, so what does this like remodeling process look like? Well, if we see the first fruits in Jesus as he is resurrected, but the purpose of that is us. We are now his new temple. That we are now God's presence revealed in his glory. Us together, here, all of us, not just one individual person, but us together. Jesus fulfilled the covenant um, and he has initiated this new temple, this new presence of God. His body, we as his church, the bride, are united with him in marriage. And we, kind of like this here and not yet type of a thing, we are united with him and we know that we are his. But we live again in this world where the presence of God is rather patchy and we don't see him all the time. But we have this promise that there will be a ceremony where we will be one with him again. And so we're just awaiting for this. And even Paul attests to this in Corinthians. What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them, among them, and I will be their God. And they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. While I was writing this, I was actually at Chick-fil-A, and um, yep, that's kind of where I live sometimes. Um, and I was sitting in such a way where I could see kind of like the play area with all the kids. And as I'm sitting there, I, I glance up and I see this girl. Um, it looked like she had like one of those everlasting gobstoppers or like one of the uh, 
Jawbreakers, yes. <laughs> but as I looked further, it was actually a deformity. Her, her whole face was kind of wrapped around this one spot. And I was like, hurt. <laughs> because as I'm reading this about God's presence and like hit when it the fullness comes and we are in his glory and I was just kind of burdened like oh god like I wish I could just go in there and and I'm pretty sure I could but I was just watching and my first fear was like this th this girl is going to be made fun of she people are going to like avoid her um and so I was just praying, like, God, would you, would you just, would you do something different this time? And as I'm sitting there watching, there's this other girl who's beautiful. She's this little girl. And I go, oh, God, please, please do something. And they actually started to play together. And, of course, there's that initial reaction of, like, whoa, you're different from me, right? But there's a moment <laughs> where this little, like, the girl with the deformity was, like, just walking around. Like, she didn't seem too excited. But this little girl is, like, tugging at her. It's like, come on, play with me. Like, there's, there's nothing different between you and me. Come on. So separate here doesn't mean that we're like, I'm not going to touch these people. I'm not going to go to the streets. I'm not going to go to the neighborhood that we go to. It's like, come on. Come on. Come and join in this presence. I'm the temple. Come on. And even more than that, it, it was Jesus calling to me like sometimes I feel like I have a deformed spiritual life. Like there's this big deformity on me and like but Jesus like come on I love you I love you come on join me in the in being the temple we are not defined by this place these walls they are not us this train station is not like if we don't have it we've lost a part of us when we go to the right center, we are the temple where his presence, that's what defines us. And I just, we're defined by him, Jesus. And I just feel like some of the places here, people are defined by the building, the architecture, and not to bash on anything, but I just feel like we've lost that, that tug, like, we have something that's awesome. Like, come with me. I'll show you. So as the, as the worship team comes up, um, I just want to encourage you that, and kind of to bring some application as the end here, that Jesus, like, his passion for his presence, it's not about us like the merchants it was about them and what kind of profit they could get out of it when you come here it's not about you I'm sorry I'm sorry it's not like what your personal spiritual experience like when you leave here and like you got the chills like Jesus was there no like it's not about you it's exaltation and 
intimacy with with the church, the temple. Um, another thing is it, it's about him. Like, when we get together, it should be about him. Like, not that we can't have fun, but like, at the end of it, we go, God, you were glorified. We worshiped you by being together. People saw that. Like, I don't know if you know, but we're, we, in this new time with Jesus up there and looking at us, like, we're in a time where we are the glory of God. Like, we actually express who he is, and people see that. And then, um, finally, like, I could just see in this temple just, like, commerce. Just very, like, give me your money, here's your sacrifice. Like, there's no intimacy there. There's no, like, I love you, you love me. I'm kind of stupid, and you're broken too. <laughs> like, let's be the temple together. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, I guess when we, when we move up to this right center, like, it is about him and us glorifying him and showing his glory. It's not about, like, oh, we get an entire school now? That's pretty cool. Like, it is cool, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like that becomes who we are then, like the big school people. We're like the Jesus people. Like that's, I guess that's really the message is like, we are God's presence and people, that should be who we are. Just as simple as that. <laughs>